Welcome to the Strong in the Geek podcast. I am your host, Ben Ramirez. With me here today is my special guest co-host, not the guy in the chair. I am a guy standing or perhaps in a bed. Yeah. So, <laughs> dumb. Uh, that was so, a dumb one. That was dumb. Yeah. 50, 51 episodes in and you still can't figure them out. Uh, yeah, well, like again, as our audience knows, we don't plan for this show. We kind of just show up and record. So, uh, we have an exciting episode for you to, here today. Uh, it's going to be a quick one. Uh, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. Homecoming. Uh, great film, but we'll get into our review in a minute. Welcome to the Strong and the Geek podcast. I, I already said that. Oh, did you? Yeah, when I started talking. I was I was too blown by, away by the fact that you were talking about me being a man in the chair. Well, that's a Spider-Man reference. Keep going. Anyway. Uh, but first, what'd you get into this week? <laughs> well, this week I had the glorious opportunity of seeing War for the Planet of the Apes. I oh. actually watched it last evening. Another movie. I haven't seen this one yet, so this one's all you. So, War of the Planet of the Apes, directed by Matt Reeves, who many of you all know is now the director of Batman. Oh, the Batman. Mm-hmm. Um... Let me just give my rundown of this film. So, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I thought was awesome. With James Franco, 2011. Yeah. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I thought, which was Matt Reeves directed, I thought was even better. Oh, yeah. I love Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. War for the Planet of the Apes is just just the cream of the crop. Oh, yeah? It ends this trilogy, so this is there's not going to be more movies. If there are, that would be it would ruin the story. Okay. And this really... Even, it's the story of Caesar. Even the beginning of the movie makes it seem like this is going to be the end of the trilogy. Okay. Um, so let me just dive into how great this movie is. Um, out the box, I'll say, I think I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10. Wow. Um, at this point, the CG is just literally unbelievable. Like, I wish that they would have hired whoever did the effects for this movie to do Rogue One when they had like um, uh, Tarkin and Leia in it. I wish they would have whoever did this because literally it's no longer, it doesn't even feel like you're lo- looking at computer generated creatures or mocap people. You're seeing legitimate An ape that can talk. These apes. Yeah. It is out of this world. Um, Caesar, at this point, I watched an interview this week. Um, Andy Serkis was talking to Stephen Colbert and saying, like, a lot of people don't understand that mocap is you're acting, then just in post, they turn you into something else. Right. But it's you acting. Yeah. And Andy Serkis, if he doesn't get an Oscar nom for this, I don't know what it takes nowadays to be oh, a, yeah? uh, one of the best actors. It is unbelievable. Wow. This movie has all of the feels. Like, I could tell you I went and saw a Planet of the Apes movie, and if you didn't know this trilogy, you'd be like, Planet of the Apes, it was a nonsense science fiction movie, right? This movie has, like, the gravitas of, like, I don't know, I, I can't even think of something to compare it to. It is drama to the max. Um, so basically what happens is it takes place about two years after Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. At this point, if you recall at the end of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, um, Gary Oldman and his group sent a distress signal to an army in the north, and then the army was going to be approaching, and Caesar was like, shit, we're going to have to fight humans. I failed. Kobo kind of won. We're going to have war now. Yeah, this war is inevitable. At this point... They now are here, and they've been fighting the apes back and forth. They're led by Woody Harrelson's character, the 
Colonel. He's known as the Colonel. Quick question. In the movie, does he actually deliver the line in the trailer where he says that it will be a planet of apes? Yeah, but in a specific context. Um, it doesn't sound as stupid in the movie. Because in the trailer... It sounds... No, I didn't like it. It sounds trailer. really dumb. There's no line in this movie. Not one line is out of place. Like, I feel like he should turn and wink at the screen. No, I would say not one line is out, is out of place. The nods and little like, subtle hints to the old franchise of Planet of the Apes is just great. Um, the original movie. Anyway, so the colonel and his guys are specifically hunting Caesar because they think Caesar's the one who kind of started all this. They don't know about Koba. Um, so the colonel, I mean, do you, do you want spoilers or no? Oh, yeah, that's fine. All right. This is strong in the geek. So, yeah, that's true. Colonel and his guys. Um, his they, name's just Colonel? They just call him the colonel. Okay. Um, they have an initial little skirmish that starts the movie, and honestly, it was reminiscent of like the opening to like uh, Gladiator. Okay. Literally, this is a war movie through and through, and it is just fantastic. Every shot is fantastic. It never gets like shaky cam crazy, um, and there's it, it like has like an overhead shot of like the apes and like the gunfire, the soldiers and the apes jumping through the trees and stuff. And literally, it's like they're not real. Like those apes are fighting are not real, and it feels one hundred percent authentic. Anyway, so the apes kind of win that battle. Caesar decides to be merciful and send the, co- the colonel's troops back and tells, like, basically send this message to them. And the main characters are really Caesar, Maurice, the orangutan from the past two movies, yeah. um, uh, and then two other apes that decide to go with Caesar. Because basically after that happens, um, Caesar's like trying to keep everybody ready, and Caesar's son, who you met in the past movie, his older son... Um, arrives and I guess he was on a journey or something and he's like they found a, a new home for the apes where they can live and they'll be the humans there are no humans there the humans will leave them alone it's like across a desert or something um, and so they're like oh alright we're all gonna go there Caesar let's do this let's peace out before the more before the colonel and his guys get here well what happens is um, the colonel that night does, does like an infiltration mission with like two of his special ops or a couple more of his special ops and he murders Caesar's wife and son so Caesar's little baby son, Cornelius, makes it out alive. Oh, yeah. But the wife and the grown-up son are just murked. Um, so this Caesar goes into a blind rage and decides he's going to go to that fort and he's going to murder the colonel. That's all he cares about. So he sends all the other apes off. Oh, yeah, off. he has to prove that it, uh, Caesar has to prove that he's no chicken. Right. Of course. Yes. <laughs> Caesar's. Yes, I gotcha. Um, well done. <laughs> Um, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. That's going to be all we have for the Strong yeah. Geek Podcast. Um, no, so Check us out on YouTube. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. So anyway, so Caesar goes to take on the colonel. Well, these three other apes are like, yo, we ain't gonna let, they're going to back up their boy. So they decide they come across, and all the other apes are going off in the desert. On the way, they encounter a girl that can't speak. Um, they encounter a, a character that I thought stole the show. He is another ape that was from a zoo. And he calls himself Bad Ape. And he can talk. Now, he can talk. Most but, of the apes in the movie can't talk. Caesar can talk. So he can talk, but he, he's obviously not to the degree of Caesar. Though. No, his, he, he speaks in really broken English. Um, Caesar, at this point, can articulate fine. Caesar speaks almost the entire movie. Except we even for see that in, every, in the trailer. Every now and then, he signs till he's trying to be quiet or, or something. But Bad Ape was an ape in a zoo that this shows that other than the group of apes, other apes now have been started to become intelligent, which kind of winks at it's going to become a planet of the apes. But Bad Ape was a zoo ape who he heard him them say to him all the time bad ape bad ape so that's what he thinks his name is he is the funniest character in the movie by far also just great 
acting and he's really quirky and like kind of awkward and his just whoever does the voice i don't know who does the voice but the voice he does is really funny for bad ape and bad ape wears human clothes so he wears like it's since it's winter time he wears like a little vest and a little like snow cap and he's like a really scrawny little ape he's really funny um, the girl that they meet, she can't speak, right? Well, it turns out that the flu, the, the virus, what it's doing is while it makes apes intelligent, it's causing like brain abnormalities and degeneration in humans, which l- makes them lose their ability to speak and, and eventually their ability to like think rationally. Humans. So, it's, so yeah, so it's affecting the frontal lobes and um, a couple other areas of the brain that cr- are, are basically what create make humans human, our ability to speak and communicate and that kind of stuff. So the girl... Interestingly enough, they name her Nova, which is a wink to the girl in the original Planet of the Apes that Charlton Heston was talking, who was with, right. who couldn't speak, Nova. Anyway, basically, they find the colonel's camp, a bunch of shit happens, Caesar, there's some Jesus imagery where Caesar's getting, like, hung up and tortured, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to, there's a huge battle, uh, the colonel ends up um, dying, and not he ends up committing suicide because he starts to go through. He loses. Caesar finally has a chance to fight him one-on-one and kill him, but then he can't speak, and he's starting to, like, mumble and groan, and you could tell, oh, shit, the colonel's falling into it, becoming, like, a Neanderthal, basically, and the colonel hands him the gun and puts it to his head, like, wanting Caesar to put him out of his misery, and Caesar won't do it, lets him kill himself. Um, Yikes. Huge big battles happen. Uh, really, this movie, the battles are cool, and the special effects are great and all, but the core of this movie is just the ape relationships mm-hmm. not, not the human relationships relationships the relationships yeah relationships and, and the moments between caesar and the colonel they have a lot of like you know a lot of dialogue between each other and those scenes are really intense and honestly the colonel at first thinks like oh this is just going to be like a one a one-sided kind of evil bad guy but then when you learn about his backstory and kind of more about him he is a great sinister sadistic villain Kind of like someone we're going to be talking about a little bit later. Right. So overall, um, in the end, Caesar dies, and the apes live happily ever after. Wow. Well, there you go. And you said it was fantastic. Every single thing about it is great. Now, quick question, because this is a great trilogy I might have to give it a 10. I can't think of anything I didn't like about the movie. Wow. This is a great trilogy of films. Right. Right? Uh, I was actually just listening to a discussion on a different program uh, earlier this week where they, two people were arguing what is the best trilogy of all time. One person put forward the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And the other person put up the Toy Story trilogy. Um, of course, you know, a lot of people have their own personal things, but saying like as a trilogy. Right. And Lord of the Rings won out because Toy Story is three different movies. You know, and, and Lord of the Rings is... Lord of the Rings is- Book, Lord of the Rings books, is a trilogy. It wasn't like an. I would think like an original trilogy. Oh no, no, no. they were just talking about a tri- the best trilogy of movies. Okay. Um, this isn't the best trilogy of movies. You wouldn't say that, the, like, as a trilogy, this is the best. No. Or like in the contending for the best. In it may be since two thousand eleven. Since two thousand eleven. No, when the first movie came out. Oh okay. Yeah, not of all time. Well, no. What I'm saying is like. A lot of movies, there's like three movies, but they don't work well as a trilogy. Um, Star Wars, they break their own rules. Star Wars or... 4, 5, and 6 are the best of all time. Well, right. Or, or Batman, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Return, Rises. Those two are my favorite of all time. Fair enough. Yeah. This would be... This is good. Like, I... Like I it, in terms of story and continuity... I, well, I guess what I'm asking is, as a trilogy, how yes, does it, it works. Up? It tells Caesar's story is complete. We see Caesar from beginning to end well. That is very well done. Okay. Very and good. I will say the one thing I like about this movie is it has like an intro like text, 
and it talks it uses the words rise dawn and then war and it like highlights those words and it sounds cheesy but it's actually really cool and i kind of like a way of reminding the audience what happened in like a unique way that that's what made me think this is the end there's not gonna be more after this okay because yeah when you say that it, it sounds like it's almost like beating over the head no, it's not. It looks, it's cool. And how they do it, like they have the text, like of those words, like turn red, like it's, it's, it's ominous. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So awesome. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about quick that I saw this week was uh, Netflix released a Castlevania uh, anime series. Which I also watched. Yeah. The first season, unfortunately, it's only four episodes and the episodes are only 22 minutes a piece. So it's very short. You could go watch it right now. And be done before you go out to get a drink with your pals. I watched it in, in an afternoon, and I did not regret it. But it is really good. The artwork is beautiful. Uh, it follows Trevor Belmont and eventually Alucard uh, as he... Uh, Barely. Well, yeah, we meet Alucard. They have a little confrontation at the very end. And that then them joining forces is kind of like the cliffhanger where we're going to be going into season two, which is already confirmed, and they're going to be doing eight episodes instead of four. Right, so this series pretty closely follows the plot of Castlevania III um, with some elements of like the anime style of, I don't know, like... I felt like almost kind of like the Animatrix sort of, or one yeah. of those like high budget. Yeah, anime yeah. No, the artwork is absolutely beautiful. But I love a dramatic anime that doesn't like the character's face get all big and jokey, right. and like I love it when it just sticks to the art style, so it's almost more like a like a comic book. Right, but it definitely follows the story in terms of with using Trevor Belmont and um, the church trying to fight in the in that. Why do you remember the? town they're in or whatever it's called with a w wakia something, something like, like that, that. But that's straight out of castlevania 3 and them teaming up um alucard that sorceress chick and trevor all teaming up to go fight dracula is also straight out of castlevania 3 so and the other thing that we got was uh an emotional reference point for dracula yeah uh that it's not just that he's the ultimate evil and that he's trying to open up a portal to hell to take over the world something like that he's sees humans as the, these vile things that took the one thing away from him that he loved, so he's going to punish them for Which that. Which I think they mentioned that at the end of, like, or in Symphony of the Night or something. Like, they mentioned, like, that Dracula's, like, that Elkhart's mom was murdered by humans. Yeah, yeah, that that is uh, referenced. Um, although, in this case, that wouldn't be uh, Alucard's mom. It was. Well, no, he was only with her for, like, two years or something mm, like that. No, it was Alucard's mom. It it doesn't tell it doesn't say it doesn't say two years. Oh, it, I, it seems it seems like it's a short time span that changes, but no, it was a while. I must have missed that. Oh, because I'm oh I'm almost sure it was Alucard's mom because I think Alucard said something about like him missing his mother too or something. Oh, I, I assumed it was just like a like I like a stepmom sort of thing. Nah, I think anyway, it doesn't really matter. But Alucard's a half breed, so he his mom would have to be a human. It doesn't. Well, again, they don't even say that. They just say that he is Dracula's son. Right. But and I'm, Trevor calls him vampire. I guess. Like, my thought is that if we're going by... I'm thinking Castlevania lore. I understand that. What I'm saying is that this could be a, a different adaptation. Okay, maybe, yeah. Uh, we're, we're not positive. Who, nobody would love their stepmom that much. <laughs> Come on. You know, there are people out there. Mm, anyone of you who loves your stepmom as much as... Al- and uh, Raise your hand. Yeah, raise your hand. I can't see any hands, so... Damn it, he's right. Uh, well, anyway, I, I thought that the show was great. Even if you're not an anime fan, you should check it out. The action Even if is you've sweet. never played uh, one of the Castlevania games, you should check it out. It's a and great And then you should immediately story. go play some of the old Castlevania games. 
Yeah, if you don't know anything about Castlevania, it's basically the story of this family called the Belmonts that are vampire hunters, that every 100 years, Castle Dracula comes up, appears, and they go to fight Dracula. That's basically the gist of it. But. Yeah, the, the, the games go back like 30 years. There's, I believe, over 40 titles now. Uh, mo- a lot of them only released in Japan, uh, or they're like obscure, but... Basically, you could find some fun ones. Yeah, the best ones: Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yeah, the old, the Nintendo ones were fun too. Yeah, the Nintendo ones were fun, and you know what? The ones that they've made, um, Lords of Shadow, the first one that was uh, Gabriel Belmont. It's it's a lot more like uh, the old God, like God of War in the gameplay. It's very different from the side scrolling, but it's a lot of fun. I heard that the sequel to that one wasn't as good because you play as Dracula, which kind of throws off the whole thing. Yeah, it turns it on its head. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I would give the Castlevania Symphony of the Night Season 1, I would give it a solid 8 out of 10. Yeah, I think it was it was a lot of the fun. The animation was good, the voice acting was good, and they got some big-name actors on that bad boy. Tell you what, when that fourth episode ended, I was like, yes, now the show's going to start. And then I was like, oh, what? Yeah, uh, I'm excited it. for season two. I was also like, I was like, oh, the story. This feels like like the story is just beginning. Like this all felt like one episode. The first season feels like a prologue to the show. Right. Uh, I'm stoked to see them fight Dracula. Absolutely. And his di- minions. I hope, and I Castle hope that we Dracula. don't have to wait till next summer for season two. I hope yeah. that because this is a shorter thing, they can release like season two maybe in the fall or the winter. That yeah. would be cool. Yeah. Um, so we do have uh or one other thing that i wanted to uh uh, talk about and review really quick uh keeping with my tradition or my what's it called new year's resolution new year's resolution that's what i was looking for thank you uh i have been playing mass effect andromeda which is the most recent entry into the mass effect series uh as many of you may know if you've uh heard anything about the game or, or read any reviews or whatever it does take the series in a different direction from the story of Shepard and whatnot it goes into the Andromeda galaxy uh, a lot of people have had some issues with the game because it doesn't uh, the facial features don't move as naturally as they did in the older games that's unusual yeah it is unusual uh, they say that from what I've heard it happens more if you play as the female version of the character I'm playing as the male version oh glass ceiling um it, they're just saying like the facial features just they they m- move in ways that don't make it feel human. So a woman only it's gets an uncanny se- valley. A woman thing. only gets seventy five percent of the facial feature movement that a man gets, huh? Uh, yeah, I guess. Wow, cool. Fuck that. Uh, there are a couple times where I've noticed that it's weird. Like the lips point a lot when they're talking. Like they kind of jut forward. That's what the uh, um, that's what the apes do in yeah. Planet of the Apes. Or the, the brow will come down so he looks kind of like he's frowning. He looks a little Ted Cruzy. It sounds like those old, like those really old Pixar demos, like when they would show the, ma- the making yeah. of Toy Story. It only happens every now and again. So it's not a really big issue. And the game, it's. Here's the other problem with it it starts out really, really slow. It takes a while for you to get into it. Now I'm into the story and I'm actually like doing things that have big action sequences. So I'm having fun. But a lot of opening of this game is just like, run here, run there. You got to talk to this person. You got to talk to that person. I'm like, when the hell am I going to shoot somebody you know, I or felt use like, my cool powers? But I did feel like this is Bioware, right? Yeah. Yeah. I felt like the beginning of Knights of the Republic was like after once you like crash landed on the planet, the first planet, it was a lot of that. Yeah. Then from then on, the game's awesome once you yeah. get off that planet. And, and I'm, I'm running into that a lot. Uh, or I did run into Jade that. Jade Empire was the now, same way too. Yeah. And you know what? Same could be said about Dragon Age. 
they seem to have like these great games with this great story and whatnot. It just takes a while for it to get started. Right, which in television and film is a horrible idea. Yeah. Uh, in, a, in a book? Maybe not. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard to, to, I mean, if you're dropping 60 bucks on a game, that's one thing. You know, you're going to play it because you dropped all the money on it. Me doing Gamefly, it, I get a game and I'm like, I'm going to play this for a couple hours here, here and there. And if it doesn't catch me within the first two times I'm playing it, I usually put it back in the sleeve and send it back because something better might come. Now this one, I know the Mass Effect series, I've played some of the older games. So I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out. And so far I'm liking it now. Uh, so I'd say well, that's good. I'd say it's good. It's just you have to give it a chance, and you have to kind of ignore some of the weird quirks that I don't know how ended up making it all the way into the. I main. think the cash machine, man. When you're this far into a series, they're trying to chug out games. It's been a while since the last game, though, and mm. Bioware doesn't. Bioware is one of those companies that releases like one big game at a time. I the know. last big game was Dragon Age Inquisition, which was like a, a launch title for. Uh, the PS4 and Xbox One. I think unless they literally something else in there that I can't even remember. I don't know. I I just th- I can f- I could see why. I don't know the f- pressure to make just another game that little cracks in the sidewalk could appear. Well, same thing could be said for the actual basic plot of the game. There's no reason for it. You know, they had a trilogy, and there was a lot of issues with the end of uh, the mass the third Mass Effect game with the ending because. The game was based on this idea that all of your choices may matter, and then the last choice you get is a th- three-pronged choice, but it does in the end it doesn't really matter what you choose. The outcome kind of is the same. That's a bullshit. It's a. It was so bullshit that they in a like not a uh, in an update that they released for the game they entered in like a fourth option, because hmm. the fans were so pissed. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, that they actually were like, well, but here's a different ending you can get, and it's a better one. Uh, hmm. So, Bioware, st- get back to making Star Wars games. In any case, uh, yeah. But in any case, uh, so, and Mass Effect Andromeda's good. Or at least a, the upper end of meh. Okay, well, that's not bad. Um, Alright, so moving on, I think it's about time for the Geek of the Week! <laughs> Everybody, it's time for the Geek of the Week, brought to you by geekofftheweek.org. I was just going to say brought to you by your calendar. Is that an actual thing, geekoftheweek.org, you think? Probably. If not, we should buy that up. But we'd have to be an organization. No, I know, it'd be a .com. But. <laughs> um, all right, so this week's Geek of the Week has actually already been name-dropped earlier this show. Um, this week, we got some Batman news. We got the Batman. We got news that the Batman, its script that which was done by Jeff Johns and Ben Affleck, is going to be set aside, and the Batman is going to be rewritten by Matt Reeves, presumably maybe with some help from someone. Um, well, he has a team. Yeah, I'd be shocked if Jeff Johnson took a look at it as EP and stuff. Yeah. But um, he's writing it and he's directing it and he's making it his own movie. We mentioned before how he wants it to be a neo noir film and stuff, and that seems to be full. Full push. I a lot of my friends were really disappointed by this. I don't like that it's going to delay the movie a little bit, but I'm okay. With it. Well, you know what he he makes a good movie. Oh yeah, and the other and the other reason why he's geek of the week is because Planet of the Apes was awesome. Yeah. So Matt Reeves, there you go. That's our geek of the week. Uh, yeah. You know, I think the issue surrounding it is 
if you aren't comfortable with something or if like you it does it doesn't fit your artistic direction for the the movie yeah throw out whatever you have to throw out start over well, they made him the boss so when yeah, you direct exactly you're right like do it i think people worry because they think like oh well this is i know there's some dc haters who are going to be like this is just a sign the dc's in shambles the movie's going to be horrible Blah, fuck you marvel is cool and those people can go to hell well no here's the thing that is absurd to, be, to just be like that because this type of thing happens all the time in Hollywood. I, I That's what I was verbatim about to say. Yeah. What it does probably mean, though, is that Matt Reeves got the script and said, this doesn't fit the movie that I think we should be making here. I'm saying, or, or, or the movie he I'm wants assuming, to make. His vision for Batman. That's not his vision for Batman. Yeah, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm assuming, and again, this is completely speculation, is that he wanted to do a neo-noir detective film and what he had was probably a more traditional superhero action movie. He was going to have Batman fighting Deathstroke. Yeah, and thought, no, this doesn't fit what I want. Maybe so he... So we're going to... Or maybe he was just like, you know what? I don't give a shit about Deathstroke. I've always wanted to see this villain on the screen. I mean, and he's writing a whole new script just or, to fit that. Or here's the thing. Or it'd be cool if he keeps Deathstroke in there because the test footage of Deathstroke looks sweet. Keep Deathstroke in there, but make him more an assassin as opposed to a supervillain. Make him an assassin that's on Batman's tail or something. Yeah. That would be cool. Kind of like a cat and mouse sort of thing. Yeah, like, um, remember, if you remember back a few episodes when I was talking about Deathstroke Volume 1 and Rebirth, the scene where Deathstroke was, like, kind of posting out trying to catch Batman in Gotham, and Batman was kept posting out too, and, like, the nuance between the two of them, that would be a perfect, I remember, I, in the show I talked about this, that would be a perfect scene in a movie. I would love to see that. And then, like, how great would it be if they, like, figure out who each other are, and then there's a... Like leverage sort of thing. Be, I would be like shocked Batman. if they, I would be shocked if they didn't already know who they are when the movie starts. Well, I think it would be better if they figure out over the course of the movie. If, if but then uh, there's that, like that's a, that's implying that they don't have history. But remember, Batman's been Batman for over twenty. Well, years. right, right. But I'm saying like you could have a cool dynamic where there's a leverage angle, like because he knows who Batman is, he goes and he takes someone that Batman is close with. But what he yeah, doesn't that, know that angle's been played up a lot before. But what he doesn't know is that while that's happening, Batman's doing the exact same thing with his daughter. Mm, Batman doesn't kidnap. Batman, this is Ben Affleck Batman. Mm, that's fair. <laughs> well, know? we don't we don't know what we don't know how he's gonna have changed after Justice League. I just I, I think that would be an interesting you know uh, kind of mirrored image to show like the difference between Batman and it, and the villains isn't always that big of a difference except. One of them is on the side of the angels and one's not. You know what I mean? Anyway, what I'm saying is I think that it's cool that he's been given the creative power. And honestly, after seeing this mo- his well, his two Planet of the Apes movies, particularly this one, I'm not worried at all. He wrote and directed and created a masterpiece with Planet of the Apes, this one I just saw. So if Batman, if he can just – I was sitting there thinking that. I was like, dude, if he can just have like how Caesar's talking to Maurice right now, if that could be like how Batman's talking to – Alfred in the next movie, I'm gonna send me my favorite movie of all time. All right. Well, congratulations to you, Matt Reeves. Give us a good Batman movie. Yeah. Oh, and everybody go see Planet of the Apes. Oh. So he makes more money. You know, interesting uh, side note, just quick little sidebar here before we get into the main topic. Speaking of Batman, did you hear who is in talks to be the director for the next James Bond movie? No. Your favorite, Christopher Nolan. Oh my goodness. We might get a Christopher Nolan Bond film. That is either going to be the best Bond movie of all the Bond movies or very confusing. 
Well, you see, the thing about Christopher Nolan... Or letter C, both A and B. Is that Christopher Nolan's movies are, are very high concept and less focus... I, I feel like a lot of times they're less focused on uh, character arc or development instead of... Christopher Nolan has these huge ideas in his head and he wants to put them on screen. So I feel like if this Bond movie would have some kind of weird element to it and be less about his connection to the femme fatale or whatever. But in any case, and just a neat bit of news that I literally heard just a few minutes back. That's pretty cool, and I am excited for Dunkirk, so. Yeah, yeah, Dunkirk does look great. Well, I think it's the time we swib swing into action. Yeah, thwip thwip. Let's talk about Spider-Man Homecoming, the newest addition to the MCU. Okay, so right off the bat, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Oh, yeah. Very I, good. Tom Holland, if you recall, Tom Holland was a geek in the week after Civil War, and we both thought, Tom Holland, we're excited for your Spider-Man movie. Don't fuck it up. He did it. He did well. In fact, my favorite part of the movie was him being both Peter Parker and him being Spider-Man. The other stuff, the things where I'm going to dock points off come from the other stuff. but Like technical things? And also a couple character things. But okay. Spider-Man himself was incredible. All right, so let's work our way through the movie. We open up. Uh, our cold open is just after the Battle of New York. Right. Uh, and there is a crew that is picking apart and cleaning up after uh, they're collect- salvaging Chitari. Led uh, by Toomey, Michael Keaton, who's Mike, the vulture. Yeah, yeah. Who will be the vulture. Yeah, right now he's just a construction worker. And that's when uh, the Department of Damage Control shows up, uh, which is great because this is hinting at what will be a comedy series based on these guys uh, eventually the department of damage control uh but they show up and they say hey you know we're a private thing and we're owned by stark industries and we're, we are taking care of this basically this plants the seeds that one they're put out of a job so there's the they took our jobs anger there which creates the initial motivation for michael keaton because he's very family oriented and he's about providing for his family that's his sole real for most of this movie, he has really has kind of a Walter White thing going on during this film. Most of the movie, he's thinking about protecting his family and all that crap. And it isn't until late in the film where it's like, nah, you kind of are doing it for you too. Um, the flip there is this also plants the seeds of his hate for Tony Stark and for the Avengers. They made this big mess. Tony Stark, and then Tony Stark is the one getting paid to clean it up and screwing them out of their livelihood. So and really just like the one percent in general. Yeah. Well, so but he's, he's but, a, this is, but this is a big. He's a working class villain. But multiple times throughout the film, he's going to make make lines or say things that hint that he is not a fan of the Avengers. He doesn't want anything to do with them yeah. from a standpoint of a criminal, but also just like fuck the Avengers. Um, so that's it, and that that takes place right after the Avengers. In 2012, confirmed by Marvel canon. Then we get a card that says eight years later. Yeah. And this is took me out of the film, and for the remainder of the film, I just could not get back into the seat of perfectly enjoying a movie, which for me rarely happens. Yeah, you it usually was, overlook little things like this. This was a lot. Well, this was a this wasn't a little thing. This was a huge thing because there's a difference between oh, okay, Spider-Man in that scene he was wearing a red t-shirt and that scene's wearing a blue t-shirt okay it's a it's a faux pas no big deal this is no this is literally messing with the chronology of your entire franchise your entire universe that's egregious to me well and here's the thing i i've been doing a little research on it and in the movie like for instance in uh the 
in the movie Avengers, the the first Avengers, they don't say like it's 2012, Tony or whatever. So, and in other movies, it's does it explicitly state that it is a certain time period? Except for in Doctor Strange, that it's also, explicit, hang on, it explicitly says it's 2016. But Marvel has confirmed. The, Marvel's confirmed though that 2012 was the year the Avengers took place. I understand that, but what I'm saying is. If it was, if there wasn't a piece of it in this plot line, they could just retcon that shit. Like they've already retconned that that little boy in Iron Man Two that stands up to one of those drones was Peter Parker. They confirmed that because it was a fan theory and it fits the timeline. That is stupid. What that the little boy that holds up his hand to stand up? I don't like. like I don't. I don't. I don't like when. I don't like when they do that. I don't like when they. I, after the fact, say, "Oh yeah, by the way, this was there the whole time." Well, no, it you. was a request by Tom Holland. Okay, he read the fan theory online and liked it and wanted that to be because he wanted to have his character have an even deeper connection here's, to Tony here's, Stark here's and my, like oh, obsession with Tony. Here's Stark. my other issue too. In I don't I haven't studied close enough to see the dates on in Civil War the dates written on the Sokovia Accords, mm-hmm. but if that says 2016 on there, and remember Vision says it's been eight years since Iron Man first Stark first revealed himself, yeah. all that lines up that it makes sense. Well, and the other thing, the, the point I was going to make is that in Agents of Shield, which is confirmed to be in this same universe, not like a separate timeline no, or something, it's concurrent with. The, what's happening? In they the, have several times said the date. Yeah. So like you can't. This was just a fuck up. This movie takes place actually not even this year. Homecoming takes place in the fall of 2016, because uh, Civil War happens in the summer of 2016, no, no, and no, no, it no. says two months later. Yeah. So this would be no, no. According to Homecoming, it's the fall of 2020. And that doesn't make any no, no, sense. No, no, no. But realistically, Homecoming takes place fall 2016. Right. But I'm saying based no, based on the film right now, we until that's fixed, we have to say that this movie takes place in 2020. And apparently Civil War did. You Who know knew? what? Maybe it's because Doctor Strange was fucking around with time. But Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy 1 took place in 2014, so they're still back a few years. What does that fuck with us do? I think we that— don't- Yes, we know we know that Guardians of the Galaxy two took place just a oh, yeah. six months no, after no, Guardians of the Galaxy one. No, no, we know that it takes place six months. And later. we know and we know based on the dates given of when Peter's you're right. taken and thirty years you're later. Right. You're right. So basically, we have Marvel really dropped the ball on this one. And I know this is a big tangent to go with, but this instantly this movie I could not give a nine or higher because of that. That's absurd. That is egre- that is it's it's an egregious error. It is an error, but that. You I, are being petty. If they would have done this in a DC movie, you would, I would have be, been like, I, no, it's I, dumb, but not it's true, whatever. Not true. I would be pissed, and I will tell you why. I nitpick, and you give me such a goddamn listen, hard listen, time. Listen, one of my biggest problems with The Dark Knight Rises is that they say that the last is I'll never is that they mention that the last time they saw Batman was that night when at the end of The Dark Knight. But then. Alfred makes some comments about how it's been a while since you've been in the cave. Well, the cave hadn't been repaired in the Dark Knight. It doesn't make any sense. But that one is, they don't give any dates. So presumably, that was the last, because they say the last recorded sighting of the Batman. So he could have been operating for a few more years after that without being just reported by the police. Right. Thanks. That, I can, but I still, it took me out of the movie the first time I saw it. I was like, that's not cool. But this is straight up black and white false information, and I'm not a fan of that. Well, you see... This type of thing happens in movies a lot, but in this case, I can't think of. I can't think of. In this case, it because they just put it as like a big banner that says eight years later, 
Uh, it, it, it's they not, didn't pay enough attention to their own timeline. And I'm saying when you're pay, when you're it, dealing with this much money and this big a franchise at this point, basically you're running the superhero movie franchise to this point. You can't you can't do that. As a as a for instance, here's the here's the thing. Uh, directors make choices in movies all the time that if you stop and think about it for a minute, you'll catch it and go, well, that doesn't make sense. But normally it's not spelled out in front of you like this, and that's the problem. We all caught it because it wasn't something on a newspaper article in the background. For instance, to bring up The Dark Knight Rises again, there's the scene where the New York or the uh, Gotham Stock Exchange is attacked, right? And then... It the, becomes nighttime very quickly. The th- they, they go through a tunnel, and then it's dark when they get to the other side of the tunnel but the thing is if you compare the, the new york or the gotham stock exchange over the new york stock exchange they both close at like 4 30 in the afternoon well to be fair so when they're when they're leaving, there's no way that that chase took like six hours but this is where but this is where i'm saying it was winter time it is winter time and dark night rises mm-hmm. beginning of winter to the end of winter one Two, this is where, see, I'm defending it just to say that I could, those are ones where you could explain it, though. It could, or you or, could just say that, well, for them to close the stock exchange and it's dark out, wouldn't people would say, that's not how that works. But also, it's a Batman movie, and Christopher no, Nolan wants it but, to take place at night. I like, get that. and no, no, I get that, but I'm saying that, but you could find, I like to like think, you can find a way for it to logically make sense. You could. You could find a way. It's a really long tunnel. There was traffic. I don't know. You could find a yeah. way for it to make sense. This one, there is no way. There's no way. It just does not make sense. Another one that does that a lot. Unless, unless it is, you're, like you said, unless it's uh, Deus Ex Machina, Doctor Strange yeah. time. Uh, another one that does that a lot is Michael Bay with the Transformers movies, which I know is like, well, you can't hold that up to anything. And we didn't even watch the last night because who cares? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to waste the money. Yeah. It. I'll watch it when it comes, I don't know, the bargain bin FX, on TV. On FX. Uh, but in any case, uh, there is a lot of shots where it'll be like a helicopter flying and then you see the sunset and then the directly next shot is in broad daylight. Like the shadows are down at their feet right and then the next shot it's sunset and then in the next shot it's like sunrise and it's well, like actually, all in the same the best, scene okay the, the biggest example of that that i can think of is from the dark knight which is a masterpiece film 10 out of 10 but um they get lao they leave pyong or they leave hong kong and they're back in gotham to drop them off the next morning it doesn't make any sense unless you think okay it's Batman. He has some technology. He had some way to pull it off. But if they would have explained, and they never say it's the next day. I guess it could have been a couple days later or something. Yeah. But how it's shot, it seems like it's the next day. The difference is if it a big thing popped up on board and was like eight hours later, I would have been like, that's fucking impossible. That flight is at least 14 hours. Like That doesn't make any sense. Well, here, like, an, here's another one. In Civil War, and I think we talked about this on a Civil War commentary, uh, Thunderbolt what? Ross says to Tony Stark, you have 36 hours. He flies from Berlin to Queens, recruits Spider-Man, and flies back to Berlin. Were they in Berlin in the, to start? And he develops a suit. Yeah. No, well, he, no, no, now we know he might have already been working on the suit. Yeah. Now we know he probably was already working on the suit. Uh, but we see from what then and is also, then getting see, back to our review get from the next scene. Spider-Man is shooting did all this, this stuff. He yeah, did all he's this. shooting this little movie. He's having a lot of fun. They had sta- hours. They stayed at a hotel. Yeah, and they, they, uh, when? Like they, yeah, all... they wouldn't have had time to do this. Right. And that's so moving on. So this goes to our point that that was a big 
fumble. A yeah. huge But fumble. then the movie starts. And the movie starts with the tone that is going to hold through this whole film, which is that this Spider-Man is not a superhero No, he's a, he's a 15-year-old he's kid a who 15 has He's a 15-year-old kid. And he is great in this. So the movie so it goes through a little montage of showing the what the events of Civil War from Spider-Man's perspective, which is hilarious. And then we get basically the end of Tony Stark's like you can keep the suit. I'll call you for the next mission, okay? You just do your thing. He freaks out. And he gets this awesome suit. And we fast forward a few months and Peter Parker's been just fighting street thugs. Yeah, he's just being a quote friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And he's terrible at it. There um, are a lot of shots of just him falling down in this yeah, movie or, or missing a web. And I love that because he, he tries to stop a guy from breaking in, but it's actually his the dude's car, which is like funny. we never see uh, like a shot. And they spe- uh, the director specifically didn't go with this. Uh, we never see a shot where like the screen goes red or something, and everything slows down uh, to to signify his spider sense. Uh, for, first, because he wanted to distance himself from that being done in the other Spider-Man franchise. Right. And second, because this Spider-Man isn't like attuned to all of his stuff yet. He's only been Spider-Manning for eight months. Because he said he was doing it for six months during Civil War. Right, and Spider-Sense is kind of a dumb power anyway. But, um, well, it's, it's, it's like predict the future power. Spiders can't actually do that. Well, yeah, but it's more like a understanding if he's in imminent danger. Yeah, how it was like done. Like a half second and before And the, the Sam Raimi movies made it to be like predict the future power, which doesn't Oh, make yeah, it. and like slow down time. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense. No, normally Spider-Sense is like the fuck and like <laughs> just, just enough time to get out of the way. So I'll say this much. Watching Peter Parker just be a kid in high school, which a lot of from here on, from here on out, the movie takes kind of two two paths: the path of figuring out Vulture, who now the all these eight years later has be, became a weapons dealing Mongol, um, and Sp- Peter Parker is now in a John Hughes movie. Literally, in, exactly in a John Hughes movie. They even do a, a gag uh, with. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off yeah. later on in the movie, which we'll get to. Um, well, I mean, I don't. We don't need to go scene by scene just to say. Let's like talk about Peter Parker's oh, no, high no. school. There was are there was great. one more thing I wanted to point out. Going back to our idea of stuff getting messed up because it was something that I caught uh, right at the scene where Tony Stark drops him off, saying you can keep the suit, whatever. When he's getting, when Peter is getting out of the car, he's wearing a NASA T-shirt. Okay. And when he gets out of the car, he's wearing a completely different T-shirt. And you are sure? Yes, I'm absolutely sure because I remember looking at his shirt and being like, "Who owns a NASA T-shirt?" So that's too flub. And then he gets out of the car and he's wearing a T-shirt that has some text on it. And I was like, "Now it still has the same like background of NASA, like mm-hmm. the the little." Uh, like elliptical things but there's words across it instead of nasa and i was like that's a different shirt well maybe hold on maybe you didn't notice what it was saying in the car no i read the word nasa oh all right all i'm saying is that if that's true then that's two flubs within five it's possible that something got spilled on him they had to change the shirt and do the shot again or it's possible that they just did it in reshoots or they just did not notice they just messed up yeah they might have just grabbed a different shirt Regardless, there you have it. Strike two. Uh, um, but it's a, again, it's a small error. It's not a big deal. I only caught it because I'm weird about t-shirts. I read every single t-shirt I saw in this movie. Uh, it's just a thing for me, I guess. Hmm. Good to know. 
So, um, let's in terms of the high school stuff. So we get to meet Peter's best friend, who his name escapes me. Ned. Ned, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we get to in, his love interest, who spoiler alert turns out to be Vulture's daughter, which was a legitimate good twist that I did not actually see coming. Which yeah, I like. Uh, very surprising, especially yeah. because she is African American and Michael Keaton is not. Yeah. Um, which it turns out Michael Keaton's married to a black woman and she's mixed which right. you can tell that she's of mixed heritage but i wouldn't have caught it i would have just been like no she's there's no way she's michael Keaton's i just daughter. i just didn't think that they were gonna have the love interest play that much into the plot really i'm glad that they worked it in authentically yeah as, as, opposed, you know as opposed to the stupid mary jane just falls and the damsel in distress this wasn't that it was or, just like it just happens to be a family relationship or you know what it's better than dennis leary's ghost like in amazing spider-man 2 Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That the dad is, like, haunting Peter, but yeah, in dumb. a really dumb way. And, yeah. oh, that movie sucked. So all the <laughs> so almost every scene of Peter just being Peter in the high school, getting in trouble, uh, trying to make his web in chemistry class, all this stuff, it felt very John Hughes, very authentic. And Tom Holland nailed it. He's funny. Him and his buddy are really have good chemistry. And I would say... Those are some of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. Very early on, Ned figures out that Spider-Man is, or that Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, which I thought that was going to happen way later in the movie. Mm, I, um, I, I didn't think so. But it made for a really fun gag that kept going on. Where him asking about his spider powers. about his powers. And those were all like neat little nods to the comics. Because uh, a lot of them was like, can you, can you summon an army of spiders? Well, you could either make that that... Superior Spider-Man did have an army of little drones that walked all over New York City monitoring things, or uh, maybe a nod that Ant-Man has an army of ants. Like little little things like that were fun references right. to the back to the comics. Um, almost all the characters that have names in this movie are comic book characters and aren't just made up for the movie. Right now we so do get it's two, a we get... treasure trove for Spider-Man fans. Now we did get two shockers. Shock. We did get two shockers. Shocker one for basically kind of saying, screw you, I'm going to do my own the thing. The guy that looks like Tom Hardy. Vulture kills him. and then, By accident, which was a fun gag. And then, yeah, he, he didn't realize he, like, it was the gun to kill it, him. It was a really believable, like, he like, looks back at me and he says, I thought this was the anti-craft gun. He's like, no, that's that one. Oh, all right. And drops it. And then Vulture two, um, I don't know, I don't know the names of those actors. You mean Shocker two? Shocker, yeah, sorry. I don't know the name of those actors or their characters or whatever, but I will say those two felt like just one-dimensional goons to me. But Vulture was good. He oh was, yeah, yeah, Vulture was a and great. And so Marvel was uh, Tinkerer, uh, or not not confirmed as the Tinkerer, but presumably because he's the one making all the gadgets. Okay. Uh, I think I felt like he was actually really good too. He See, keeps... I felt like he was also like just cannon fodder. No, no, no. He well, and he doesn't die. I know. I'm saying. I feel like um, he didn't have. He. I don't think he added anything to the plot. Really. No, no. Didn't necessarily add anything to the plot except for he kept hinting at like the there's going to be a big thing this later. Thing I want to build. Yeah. yeah, this thing that is going to be the thing later because right. I'm loading a gun on a screen. Uh, but I think that the actor did a good job because uh, there were a lot of times where it was subtle. His, he seemed terrified of the vulture. I would say that he, I think he did a good job in, and I think this is from the creative standpoint, it was a good job of Ned talks all about the guy in the chair, you know, that dude yeah. who sits back, and basically the Felicity. Yeah. The, the uh, Felicity from Arrow. Well, this dude was Vulture's guy in the yeah. chair. So I thought that was cool. Also, he did give us another little uh, Easter egg that uh, hints at either the villain in the next 
Spider-Man Homecoming or possibly even like a Sinister Six sort of thing. Uh, he mentions the tail for Gargan. Uh, Gargan is the uh, scorpion. Yeah. Uh, Matt Gargan. Well, after the in the credit scene, we get the scorpion. Yeah, Matt so. Gargan is the guy with but, the scar. With the, with the huge scorpion tattoo. Yeah. That one was on the nose. He says the tail. Right. Uh, so clearly they're developing the scorpion suit. Yeah, no, that yeah, that I that wasn't like a, a wink wink. I, that was for me. I was like, yeah, the scorpion's gonna be in the next one. Well, for you and I, yeah, for a lot of general viewers, they probably don't even know who the scorpion is. Think back to the cartoon. Yeah, watch the uh, Spider-Man cartoon. He's a Spider-Man villain. Spider-Man villain. Villain. Just for the record, Spider-Man villains are normally lame, which makes me go back to say this is why I was actually thoroughly impressed with the Vulture. So let's dissect Vulture for okay, a little bit. Okay, first of all. I love Michael Keaton's the great. way that they depicted this character in look. He looked cool because the vulture in the comic book is the stupidest, is the stupidest costume. When he's I heard bright green when, and he's bald headed oh, with a big bird nose, when yeah. I heard it was going to be Vulture, I was like, God damn it! This vulture and the vulture looks, is an old man in the comic book. This vulture looks cool. He looks yeah. very cool. I love that the flight suit had the little ruffle up on the top, the bomber to jacket, look. to hint at that's the vulture's thing, and then all the green lights to hint at his suit. I'm also glad that they never explained how the hell he is such a good pilot with that thing. I just like well, that he, he's had it for five years. I just like that, I just like I they show used to say eight. Years. I just like they show that he's awesome with it. Well, and here's the other thing. I don't want the exposition. Just show here's the other thing that uh, is kind of like reading between the lines a little bit here. Did you notice that, first of all, it's huge. It's yes. gigantic. It is very big. It's not this tiny little thing that uh, Falcon has. No, it's big and it's terrifying. It doesn't collapse in on itself to become a backpack. Mm -hmm. It follows what seems like real-world physics. Yes. Like it has Harrier kind of jet sort of it engines on it. It has propellers. Yeah, that, that, the Harrier sort yeah. of thing. Uh so, like, it's not just magic. Uh, and here's the other thing. He wouldn't be able to just walk around with this thing on his back. It needs not. to be in a thing, and he can just snap into it. One thing that's always taken me out of the movies, uh, the, the other Marvel movies, is the fact that their gear seems to have no weight. Right. Uh, in Falcon, none whatsoever. Yeah, he just walks around with his back. And then they just say, it's Stark Tech. And it like, folds up, and then when it folds up, he, he just looks like he's wearing a small backpack. I know, I, and I hate that, 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 well, Tony Stark developed it. Like, it's yeah. like, he can't develop anything, everything. Or here's like, another one, and I don't know, I've never heard anyone talk about this, but it's always bothered me. In the Avengers, when Loki throws Tony out of the building and his suitcase turns into an Iron Man suit, how the fuck was he walking around carrying an Iron Man suit? Yeah, and also... In the first Iron Man movie, we see him barely fall and go through the floor. Yes. They're very heavy. Yes. There's no way he'd be able to... Like, how did he develop one that weighs nothing? Maybe the lightweight, the, the like, Cap's shield's supposed to be really lightweight. Honestly... I think the really the, I think the only I think the only but a shield and an entire suit of armor I think, with flight jets and I, guns and shit yeah, and also it doesn't make sense like the, all the chemicals to create like the explosions and stuff for that would have to they're liquids like they can't just compress you can't yeah no uh, it doesn't makes make any sense doesn't no make sense. sense and honestly at all I think Civil War Spider Man some do it be, uh, best that thing doesn't follow the laws of physics at all yeah like I was like yeah he he said what I've been thinking yeah but in this case we have something that. Also, going back, Spider-Man in the first Spider-Man, or uh, Iron Man in the first Iron Man movie, he had to have this big whole thing take the armor off him, which yeah. was believable. And now, and now, like a wristwatch, he just clicks yeah, a watch and it, it becomes a armor. Yeah, which I guess does have 
it's true to the comics, I guess, but if we're looking at a real world thing, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Whereas the Vulture, it kind of is like, this is his Iron Man. Right. You know what I mean? The tech is still new and it still has weight to it. Uh, but everything felt like it could exist. Right. And Mike, so from the, the character aspect is he looked awesome and he was sinister. He Michael was, Keaton gave an amazing performance. I would say that he looked terrifying and Spider-Man handled it like he actually was freaked out. But Michael Keaton was awesome. Both in costume, out of costume. When he was with his family, it was authentic. He was a loving father. But when he was when he was with the criminals, he was a good mob boss. And when he was fighting Spider-Man and like being kind of ruthless and threatening Peter, he was ruthless and like terrifying. Walter White. He he was a great Walter White you know what? character. I gotta say this right now. My new favorite Marvel villain. I wouldn't go that far. I would absolutely go that far. I I still really like Loki a lot. But... Well, here's the reason why I like Michael Keaton as the Vulture so much. First. He's right. Like, he's the only villain that has a sympathetic angle to it, and he's absolutely right. If, if not for the fact that he's a, a criminal, like, he's doing the same thing that rich people do. It's just that because he's poor, or he's not poor, he has a very big house in New York, but because he started poor, uh, he's considered a criminal. And I did like that angle, that when you're wealthy, you can do whatever you want. He's just not wealthy. Yeah. Well, he, he isn't the he, base He's of now a self-made he's not, man. He's not, he's not legally wealthy. Yeah. And even then, like, he's still upper middle class. He's not, like, rich. rich. Yeah, but I'm saying, but, like, it goes to the idea that, like, they don't, that, that the poor are disregarded. Yeah. And the other thing is that the reason I feel like this movie was needed more than anything in, that we've had in the last couple of years in Marvel is the stakes weren't that high. No, the biggest it proved the that, biggest thing that happened was Peter foiled one heist. Yeah. The it, end of the movie was following a heist, not proved, saving the world, not saving the city. Exactly. And I like that. I like This that is a lot. the thing. Like we talked about Suicide Squad and the fact that Suicide Squad's great. They don't need to be saving the world from a ancient evil, which they do in their first movie. I would say in their first movie. Yeah, they no, don't no, need to no, do that. no. It should have been Way smaller yeah, than the that. Suicide, the Suicide Squad does save the world in the comics, but in their first movie, no. no Spider-Man no. saves the universe all the time. That's what I'm saying. But in, first in his movie, first movie, no. The stakes had, should have been way, way lower. Right. So basically, It was actually something that I really liked about Civil War. Again, the stakes were way, way lower. Yeah. It was about Zemo these sucks, but... fighting each other, not about them stopping a comet from hitting right. the Earth. So basically what happened was um, Spider-Man... Tries to go out and be Spider-Manning. He discovers this basically this plot, this under this weapon sales. He tries to take it down himself, which results in a a, a travesty on a ferry, which you probably seen in the trailer. Um, you Iron, did. Iron Man comes, and that was the one thing I didn't like was the trailer did literally spell out the whole movie. Oh yeah, yeah. But beat for I, beat, Iron Man came, um, takes away the suit from him. Spider-Man goes. Now to uh, still goes off on his own. Yeah, has this kind of montage where he's like gonna be not Spider Maning. Yeah. He's just gonna focus on being a kid, and then walks in to pick up his girl for prom, and her dad is the Vulture. And there's this great exchange where you see Michael Keaton putting it all together, yep. and that was great. I love that it wasn't just like a he knew it was him the whole time. No, he figured it out. Uh, or that the movie ended with him like but not it was a, knowing. But it was, was a realistic way to figure it out. Like, oh, you, like literally, because I was sitting there and I was like, when the, the scene happened in DC that we didn't mention, but in DC, Spider-Man saved his buddies, but Peter Parker had run away and 
Spider-Man, who's from Queens, the hero of Queens, happened to be in D.C. when this group from Queens yeah. was there. Literally, I like that Michael Keaton put two and two together. Because I was sitting there and I was like, if no idiot could have figured that one out. Oh, like, yeah, no, no, more people should have. Yeah, at least the students. No, like, random tourists, no way. But the students should have been like, where's Peter? Oh, Spider-Man showed up. Or even Peter said he was friends with Spider-Man. Like, even the media, like, if because he happens to save a group from Queens, and he's a hero that operates in Queens. Yeah. They'd be like... Oh, clearly he's one of the parents. Yeah, or something. You know I mean? Yeah. So I, Michael Keaton figuring out was authentic. Basically, Peter decides to chase Michael down because he knows he's going for this one big score, and it's what it turns out to be is him stealing Avengers weapons from a Stark tower ship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which and, I thought was cool. And there's a like there's a whole iron the Hulkbuster armor is on that plane. As an extra shield there's for Cap. Crates full of arc which is reactors. Also, which is also confusing because as is Iron Man still building shields for Cap, even though well they, they just said it's like a new prototype. But they've split, so that one also I was like that's kind of weird. Well, he's still gonna arm Captain America even though they're no longer. But remember, remember at the end of Civil War, he got the note from the Cap. Way, yeah, the way. And I way. think he knows the, like it's they're gonna come back together. Or maybe he is planning on defecting no no no. i'm saying maybe tony stark is planning on helping whoever the next captain america is but you know what i mean uh also i thought i thought that might have been a neat nod to the uh laser shield that uh the the next avengers captain america gets the the kid yeah uh because that would be a more tony stark thing to do than it just making a shield uh but yeah so they they uh he attacks uh, michael keaton attacks the the ship and spider-man manages to direct it so that it crashes on the beach by coney island they have their and, final duel yeah they fight there and again it wasn't a case of spider-man out punches the vulture no he just vulture out- beats spider-man oh spider-man would have lost spider-man just kind of lucked out yeah his uh, he just he actually tries to save him and yeah. ultimately does right uh, which again was great because I was afraid they were going to kill off of an, a villain at the end of a Marvel movie. And they kept it in there that they could Sinister Six later on if they wanted to. Yeah, and you know what? It made uh, the first uh, of the post-credit scenes where we see Michael Keaton in prison and he talks to Gargan, and Gargan's like, "Rumor is you know who the Spider-Man is," and he says, "If I would have known, I would have killed him already." And he keeps walking away, and he kind of like smirks. Uh, I like that because that was like. Maybe in his mind, him being like, all right, I've repaid the debt. Yeah. He saved me right there. I saved him. Yeah. Honor among thieves. Yeah. The movie, basically, after that, um, Tony Stark comes and happy, and they're like, oh, Peter, great job. You've earned your stripes. Here's your suit. You can be an Avenger. He says- They show him the Iron Spider costume. Which I literally thought was hideous, and I was glad they turned it down. I knew uh, he was going to, but- Yeah. No, I thought it was cool looking. I thought it was weird. I think it's actually cooler looking than the one from the comics. Oh, oh I thought you were talking. No, no, yeah, I thought you were talking about cooler looking than the suit he has. His oh no, suit no, no, no. Is his suit's cooler. And the entire bit with Karen, who he named the suit's AI, I thought that was hilarious. Oh yeah, yeah. The entire scene of him learning how to use the suit, and then it was thirty minutes later, very. Or like, years. for instance, what the hell is instant kill mode? Yeah. Whereas a pupils went to little red dots. Yeah, I don't know. I want to know what instant kill mode is. Basically, um, the movie ends with Spider-Man saying, "Nah, I'm good." Um, it turns out Tony Stark and uh, Pepper Potts are engaged now. Yeah, they're, or they're about to be. They're back together. So that was cool. Um, and Spider-Man goes off to continue Spider-Manning, and Aunt, Jay, Aunt, and Aunt May finds out. Oh, yeah, the very end of the movie is him movie. getting undressed from being Spider-Man and her saying, what the fuck, and then it hits end the credits. End of movie, yeah. 
And then we get that credit scene, and then our final one was just Captain America doing PSAs, which is my new favorite of ever, any post-credit scene. Because it was it was actually hearkening back to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, yes. where he goes to the screen and says, what are you still doing here? In this case, it's him saying, it's good to be patient, but sometimes it feels like you're disappointed by yeah, something. Which clearly was then being like, also the big, like, haha, you all sat to see if I was going to talk about Infinity War. I'm not. You know, for a second there, when he turns and says, how many of these do we have left? Or whatever, when Captain America is talking off screen, I thought, is that, is that, was that like actually what was in the script or did Chris Evans like say the line and then turn to say something and they were like oh that's perfect we're keeping I honestly that. I don't know and I, I I could imagine it being either because him just saying like because uh, apparently in the deleted scenes they'll, they will all be a segment on the blu-ray that's awesome uh, because there's a bunch of them like Captain America talking about you need to brush your teeth right. and all these different things so I feel like they recorded a bunch of them which is exactly what would happen in real life and it could have been Chris Evans saying like how many more of these do we have to do yeah so here are my final thought wins, um, and the things that I didn't like as much, um, kind of in summation, to wrap this bad boy up on Spider-Man Homecoming. So, Peter Parker and Vulture. Fantastic jobs by Tom Holland and Michael Keaton. The hero and the villain of this movie did what they needed to do. They were believable. They were human. Um, when they were funny, they were funny. When one was villainous, he was villainous. When the other was heroic, he was heroic. Them, big win. Um, the jokes. I laughed during this movie a lot. The jokes are great. Marvel has a pretty good track record with their jokes. They usually land well. Um, Guardians 2 was hit or miss for me. Very, no, no. This one was very funny. It this all felt was, very organic. It felt organic, and the jokes hit. I like My them. favorite joke in the movie was after the first time we see the Captain America little sports thing, and Hannibal Burris says... Uh, yeah, I guess he's like a war criminal now, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I still was... have to show this. And I like that, because that was, that was like continuity. Okay, I like that. And that was, I mean, they got Hannibal Burris to be the coach, and that was the perfect thing for him right. to say. Um, and overall, the tone of the movie, like we said, the small scale. Things I didn't like, the egregious error in chronology that now opens up Pandora's box. Um, I didn't like um, the having shocker be like kind of a throwaway villain i when i when it comes to big name villains i like them to be a big name i would have been fine with just vulture and his thugs you don't need to have a big name villain shocker's one of the center six right uh no but he is in the at least from the from the spider-man cartoon he was a big name he's a guy i mean he's a low-level villain well but he's like bigger than batrock the leaper he didn't or... and he didn't also need to just be like thug too who drives the van yeah um, so yeah, that one, meh. And I, here's the thing. This movie, and this was the thing that I know, it's, it's not a fault of the film per se, but the trailer thing we talked about. Mm -hmm. So the trailer spilled the whole movie, but the trailer had some scenes in it that I actually enjoyed more in the trailer than in the actual movie. And for example, when he goes and they're robbing the ATM... In the trailer, he says in this like really Queen's accent, like, hey, you guys on the real Avengers. And it's and he like says some things and jokes around them, and it's really funny. In this one, it's like, Whoa, are you guys the real Avengers? And he says it like in like his kid voice. And I just didn't like it as much. I was like, it was so much more funny and Spider-Man-y in the trailer, and I wish they would have gone with that take. So that was kinda like and that and there was at least like a couple other scenes that I watched and I was like, oh, that was different from the trailer and I liked the trailer lines better. Mm. Which, that was like, damn, like go with a thing that's funnier and grittier and just a little more comic booky. Um, so yeah, but all in all, I'm going to have to go an 8.5 for Spider-Man Homecoming. 
I did thoroughly enjoy it. Um, the soundtrack was really good and everything. I, it would have gotten a nine, but dropping the ball on the chronology is just too egregious for okay. me. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I, I agree with all of your points. I thought that there was some great character moments across the whole thing. I think that uh, one thing that we totally forgot was uh, the little cameo by Donald Glover. Which he uh, was funny. Which, not only was he funny, I think it was he a- actually is, him being in the movie is a way bigger deal than you might think. Uh, that a lot, a lot of people might think. Uh, because the character that he plays is actually the uncle of Miles Morales. Okay, who, who is the, the new a, Spider-Man. another Spider-Man. Yeah. And when they brought up his little uh, rap sheet and he had an AKA and it said The Prowler. The Prowler is a ex-criminal turned vigilante that works with Spider-Man sometimes. So it's possible that Donald Glover might actually become a hero in the MCU. That would be cool. See, I didn't know all that, so I, I, or I really was. I thought it was just kind of like a glorified, like, hey, everybody, here's Charles Gambino. No, it's actually well, and I know it was a thing that when they were talking about doing the Amazing Spider-Man, uh, someone put out, had posted a picture he of him be because he was wearing Spider-Man pajamas, and they said no, he would should be a Spider-Man. And I think as a nod to that, now that he's maybe a little too old for the character, right. they're like. They can make him the uncle of Miles Morales. Which is cool. And we don't know how old Miles Morales is right now, so presumably when Tom Holland is done being Spider-Man, they could just bring him in. Yeah. Or they could bring him in in the next movie. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, So little things like that I thought were great and should be mentioned on our Geeky Podcast. Uh, Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. This movie played well as an action movie, played well as like a teen drama sort of thing, played well as a comedy, it played well as a superhero movie. And it had its drama moments. And I think, all in all, it was a great addition to the MCU. One of my favorites. Yeah, Uh, very good. Very, very good. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, Marvel figures out its continuity uh, before Thor Ragnarok. Uh I cannot wait for Thor Ragnarok. I can. I can't. I will say this. I'm very excited for um, Infinity War. I'm more excited for Thor Ragnarok than I am for Infinity War. I'm not. I'm really afraid that Infinity War is going to be bloated and it's going to be messy. I want it to be a absolute superhero cosmic clusterfuck. I want it to be Doctor Strange and Spider-Man going ham. Wow. I will say this much. Tom Holland has earned his stripes for me, it still is Steve Rogers is my favorite in the MCU right now. Chris Evans, Captain America is my still my favorite. But so Doctor Strange had taken the number two spot, but I think after this one, I think Spider Man leapfrogged him. I think now it's Cap, Spidey, and then Doctor Strange. There are too many good ones. To and seeing those three in a film together, I'm gonna like a lot. Yeah, and you you are right about Iron Man though, especially in this movie. I feel like. Uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. kind of phoned in the performance. He's just he's just that a, was the one thing I feel like he's over being Iron Man at yeah, this point. And I honestly he didn't add anything to it. Yeah. If you would have just had him come back and he gets the suit and Iron Man not play this like surrogate dad role, just not even have him in the movie, it would have changed nothing. Well evidently when they were first talking about the movie they actually consider the mentor thing being Sam Jackson at bringing Nick Fury back because he's supposedly in Infinity War and he's already done that role for Iron Man you know and what? for Captain America. Where the hell has he been? You know, I don't know. <laughs> he kind of, after Winter Soldier, he just kind of disappeared, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, you know what? I didn't even think about that. Where has he been? I thought he died, maybe. No, he, he's well, alive. He did, but it was a, it was it was, a ruse. Yeah, he was alive. Yeah. He, he, presumably, I mean, what he says is that he went underground to 
root Hydra out, right? So I guess or that's to make what or to make ja- or to make Django too, or <laughs> I was gonna say he's he's probably just making a bunch of movies. Yeah, making Quentin Tarantino movies. Being in every movie. Yeah, or those um those what's in your wallet commercials. Oh yeah, that's what he's been doing. Yeah, that's that's it. That's, that's Nick Fury's is gone he's sold out (laughs) all right well there you have it that's gonna be our review for spider-man homecoming yes and one final thing before we wrap up the show for the evening i just wanted to give a special shout out from the strong and the geek to the show's good friend a good friend our good friend morgan the painter morgan the paint morgan the painter yes she um she painted something for for me but also to show for the show um it is a um canvas painting of the cover of the dark knight returns book one we'll be tweeting out a picture of it it is a absolute masterpiece the greatest piece of artwork i have ever received or uh, or even seen um so yeah little shout out on air it's a work of art very good for you, Mort. Thank you. We appreciate it. You can be the geek of the month. Yeah, the geek of the century. All right. Well, in any case, that's going to do it for us here at the Strong and the Geek headquarters. We want to thank you for listening. Uh, if you wouldn't mind hitting the like button or subscribing, commenting, checking us out on all of the uh, different sites, you know, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, liking and commenting, Facebook. Uh, Twitter at Strong Geek, me personally at the Ben Ramirez, him at Ramirez for Prez. Uh, stay tuned for more information uh, about when we'll, we will be having our extra life. Uh, and please donate to the cause. Uh, you know, we're raising money for sick kids. So uh, follow the link in uh, all of the things that we've posted to get to extra life and donate. We're raising money. And it's a, it's a very, very big deal, and we want to be able to do our part, and we need your help to do that. So please uh, donate. Uh, and if nothing else is to be done, I guess we should just tell you to stay strong. And stay geek. you know who the spider boy is uh yeah i uh i've talked to him before well tell me who he is uh his name is howard and he's a duck spider boy's a duck yep he's a spider duck howard the spider duck boy yeah he has both (laughs) how was it man damn you Give the people what they want. The identity of the spider duck boy. He has spider boobs and duck boobs. Spider duck boobs? Spider duck boobs. Are you goddamn kidding me? Yeah, they lactate webs. Are you goddamn kidding me? Quack, quack. Ooh, I am Caesar the ape. (laughs) That's not all Caesar's voices. Goodbye. Take that, Hollywood. Duck boobs. Duck boobs. <laughs>